0: and laughs theater of the mind the best love programs from radio's golden age only on zoomer radio now here is your master storyteller frank proctor
1: thank you and good evening On a cold winter's night, what better entertainment can be had than cozying up to the radio? Maybe in your snuggie as you listen into the yarns being told. (laughs) Well, okay, maybe there are other things that might take priority over that. But anyway, let's continue. Sometimes we'll be going for laughs, as you'll find out in part two of Theater of the Mind, when Eve Arden, as our Miss Brooks, drops by with the rest of the gang from Madison High. Right now, though, maybe we can set the mood for what's first on the bill. So... Turn down the lights. It's time for Suspense Theater. One of the premier drama programs of the golden age of radio, it was subtitled Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills and focused on suspense thriller-type scripts, usually featuring leading Hollywood actors of the era. Approximately 945 episodes were broadcast during its long run, and more than 900 still exist. Suspense went through several major phases, characterized by different hosts, sponsors, and director-producers. Formula plot devices were followed for all but a handful of episodes. The protagonist was usually a normal person, suddenly dropped into a threatening or bizarre situation. And solutions were withheld until the last possible second, with evildoers usually punished in the end. Now, in tonight's episode, The Lone Wolf and his butler recount their experiences at a charity bazaar on Long Island. This, by the way, was first aired in 1943.
2: Suspense. This is The Man in Black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Heading our Star Hollywood cast tonight is Mr. Warren William, and with him is Mr. Eric Blore. No fewer than nine times have these two gentlemen appeared together in screen thrillers based on the adventures of one of the most celebrated characters of modern crime fiction. This familiar character will speak to you now for the first time on the air, as with the story called Murder Goes for a Swim and the performances of Warren William as Michael Lanyard, and Eric Blore as Jameson. We again hope to keep you in suspense.
3: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Allow me to introduce myself. Nowadays, meeting me on the street, you'd most likely recognize me as Michael Lanyard, an author of sorts. But... If you'll not be too free with the information, because I've been at some pains to allow bygones to be bygones, I was once known rather well by quite a different name. And there are still times when I find myself obliged, or should I say forced, to return to that character, to resort to the somewhat questionable talents of the lone wolf. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my presence here this evening is prompted by an uncontrollable desire to reminisce a little. Eh, Jameson?
4: Oh, quite right, Mr. Lanyard. And if you'll pardon the gentleman's gentleman for saying so, sir, playing nip and tuck with the police, meeting lovely ladies, you pilfering an occasional gem, I living, so to speak, from hand to pocket. (laughs) Ha-ha! Those were the days, sir. (laughs) Yes, those were the days. Absconding at times perhaps a touch of embezzlement here and there.
3: Now, now, hold on, Jameson. If we're going to reminisce in public, I suggest we confine our recollections to our later period, when the lone wolf had become a gentleman of leisure and used his talents in the interests of law and order. In that case, sir, I suggest you
4: relate the episode of our little experience at that horrible party we attended at that Long Island
3: estate, remember, sir. And of course, Jameson, the Rutherford Barnes estate. If I remember correctly, the occasion was some sort of charity bazaar. We were invited uh, for the weekend. The phone rang just as we were about to leave the apartment.
5: Mr. Lanyard, this is Betty Larson. You've never heard of me before, but I know you've been invited to spend a weekend with Mr. Rutherford Barnes. Please, you must accept the invitation. Come down immediately, right now. It's just a little after two o'clock. And if you're not too late, the lone wolf may be able to prevent a murder.
3: And I arrived at the Barnes Estate a bare two hours after we'd received the mysterious telephone message. I was introduced to all kinds of people. First, the famous gossip columnist, Ralph Clinton. Well, Mr. Lanyard, this is indeed a surprise, and I might say a pleasant addition to our little gathering. Something always happens when you're lone wolfing around. Oh, I know, I know, you've reformed. But a fellow can hope for a little excitement, can't he? See you later, old man. Then I met a very, very beautiful young lady.
5: Oh, Mr. Lanyard, we haven't met yet. I'm Cynthia Waring. I've read all your stories and admired the ingenious way you solve those baffling mysteries. I think you're wonderful.
3: And, of course, there was our host himself, Mr. Rutherford Barnes, who had recently announced his engagement to Miss Waring. I believe you've met just about everyone, Lanyard. That is, everyone except Bill Hodges. He's the firebrand of our little congregation... He's probably wandering around, walking off the effects of the last ten cocktails. Just make yourself comfortable. Strangely enough, I failed to meet a Miss Betty Larson, the frightened young lady who had phoned. Anyway, the afternoon wore on through the beauty contest at which I was elected to preside as judge, and at which Miss Cynthia Waring, looking very pretty in a big picture hat and hoop skirt, was the winner. After it was over, Jameson and I managed to break away from the rest of the guests, and to escape the heat of the afternoon, we prepared ourselves for a cooling dip in the pool.
4: I say, Mr. Lanyard, we've been to some pretty big and fancy places in our day, but this one is really something. This Rutherford Barnes person must be... Really an important
3: person. You're quite right, Jameson. Rutherford Barnes is listed in Who's Who as the gentleman who made a fortune out of sardines. (laughs) Just think, an entire estate built of sardines. Uncanny, isn't it, Oh, Jameson. (laughs) Forgive me, sir. No more puns,
4: I promise. Well, I should hope so. I say, this pool is constructed just like a miniature lake lilies and all that sort of thing floating on top. Quite naturally, if you're going down
3: for the third time, you just take a lily with you. Oh,
4: what a jolly thought. (laughs) Well, here goes. Watch this beautiful swan dive. (laughs) I say, this is most unusual. It's a sort of a Sort of a mermaid lying on the bottom of the pool. And she's very pretty, sir. (laughs)
3: Last night it was (laughs) a firemaid, today it's a mermaid. (laughs) But but really, sir? Well, I'm the judge in the beauty contest. I'd better go down and have a
0: look.
4: Don't be away too long, sir. Remember, there are lots of warmer women in the world.
3: Uh, uh, Jameson, quick... Here, give me a hand. Good heavens. It's a girl. Quick, here, lift her out of here.
4: Hurry. I'm, do- I'm doing my best. I'll get up there.
3: Uh, 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 here, uh, now, let's, uh, uh, let's put her uh, down uh, here. You, uh, hold her there, oh, sir. Yes, Jameson, I, uh, uh, I'm i afraid uh, she's dead. Uh, well, what do you make of it, sir? Was it what, an accident? Well, I don't know. There's, uh, there's a pretty uh, nasty bump on the side of her head. Well, perhaps she slipped and hit her head as she fell. Perhaps. But, uh, but her bathing suit, not quite the style you'd put on to take a swim. Possibly she was in the beauty contest. Of course, that's it. <sighs> the uh, program listed, listed ten contestants, yet only nine girls competed. Meaning what, Mr. Lanyard? Meaning, Jameson, that this poor kid was the tenth contestant. And if my hunch is correct, her name is Betty Larson. The girl with the telephone message? Precisely. And if her call was on the level, we did arrive too late, and she was murdered. Mr.
5: Lanyard! Mr. Lanyard!
3: It's Mr. Barnes and Miss Waring. Take off your robe and cover up the body, Jemison. Yes, sir. Well, Lanyard, we've been looking all over for you, haven't we, Cynthia, dear? Yes,
5: of course. And I'm glad we found you, Mr. Lanyard. I've been wanting to thank you for awarding me the prize in the beauty contest this afternoon. I really didn't think that... Mr. Lanyard! There, at the edge of the pool.
3: Yes, it's a girl, and I'm afraid she's drowned.
5: Drowned? But... Oh, how horrible.
3: Oh, but how did it happen? It... Who is she? I think she's Betty Larson. What do you think, Mr. Barnes? Here, look.
6: <gasps> oh, oh good heavens.
3: Heaven. Oh. Yes. Yes, that is Betty Larson. Well, I had no idea. But then you do know the girl, Mr. Barnes. Why, yes. As a matter of fact, Only recently, I recommended her for a job. She's the local telephone operator.
5: And the village beauty. Mr. Barnes and Miss Larson were childhood sweethearts.
3: Mr. Barnes, tell me, do you know any... uh, Do any of the other guests know this girl? Ralph Clinton, for instance. Could our famous uh, columnist have possibly known Miss Larson? Well... If not in person, most certainly by telephone. You see, for the last few weeks, Miss Larson handled my personal calls. I see. Did she ever mention the fact that there might be a murder? Murder? Well, you see, I received rather strange message. Now look here, Lanyard. If you're insinuating that Miss Larson was murdered, you're all wrong. It's perfectly obvious. She slipped and fell into the deep end of the pool. She can't swim. We couldn't hear her cry for help over the noise of the party, so the poor girl drowned. As simple as that, eh? Why, of course. And I'd appreciate it if you'd be kind enough not to mention this accident to any of the other guests. There's no need to disrupt the entire weekend. I'll notify the sheriff and call the coroner, and they'll take care of everything. I think it might be a good idea, Mr. Lanyard, since you seem so certain that a murder's been committed that you and your man remain on the premises. Our famous lone wolf may have a little explaining of his own to do. Come along, Cynthia.
4: Completely at sea, Mr. Lanyard. The sheriff seems to think the whole thing was an accident. But this Miss Betty Larson person dived into the pool, and that's how she hit her head.
3: I doubt that, Jamison. According to Barnes, the girl couldn't swim. Hey, oh, I think we have company. Hey, yeah? If You see,
7: Mr. Barnes around. I want to see him.
4: I think he's over at the other side of the house, getting things ready for the bazaar.
7: Bazaar. They don't care how they celebrate a murder, do they? If I'm not mistaken, you're Mr. Bill Hodges, eh? Yeah. Betty Larson and I were going to get married. Everything was great until she starts going around with this society bunch. I got a few things to settle with that
3: society crowd. Especially that keyhole peeper, Ralph Clinton. You seem quite positive, Hodges, that your girl was murdered. Well, I... What do you think it was, an accident?
7: That girl could swim like a fish. Nothing could happen to her in the water. Hey, yeah, but Baum says she couldn't swim a stroke. I said she could swim like a fish. But Baum says... Did you hear
4: me, you little runt? Oh, amazing how that girl could
3: swim. Now look here, Hodges. What makes you think Ralph Clinton had anything to do with this? You know you're practically accusing him of murder. Listen, Betty stood me up twice last week. I followed her in my car and she met
7: Clinton both times. He was going to put her in this contest. And she was a cinch to win. He promised her. Then look what happens to her. She's dead. Murdered,
3: I tell you. Well, here comes Clinton now. Maybe you'd better tell him about
6: it. Oh, there
7: you are, Hodges. I understand you've been looking for me. Yeah, I have. And now I'm going to fix that pretty face of yours. Yeah,
4: uh, wait a second. Here, you can't
8: do that. Here, Jameson, help me break this up.
4: I will as soon as they stop punching. Me. Hey, stop me. you, not fool, Hodges.
8: Stop it. Stop it, I say.
7: All right. All right, let go of me. Let go.
4: Oh, thanks,
3: Mr. Lanyon. This man's a maniac.
7: Okay. But I'm warning you, Clinton, I'll see you again when you ain't got your friends around.
3: Well, personally, I, I don't know whether the girl was killed or not, but if she was, our friend there, Hodges, will have a lot of explaining to do. You mean you've got something on him, Mr. Clinton? Well, when I was discussing the contest with Betty Larson a few days ago, she told me that Hodges had warned her not to enter it. It seems he was afraid that if she won, it might go to her head and she'd walk out on him. As a matter of fact, he told her to stay away from here. Well, there's going to be a coroner's inquest in the morning, and I suggest that you tell this to the sheriff as soon as he re- returns. Oh, why, uh. Tell that to the sheriff? Oh, oh, no, no. I, I'd rather hate to do that. You you see, Lanyard, someone in my position, I, uh. I can't afford to get involved. After all, it's, uh, my business to report scandal and, uh. not get mixed up in it. But look here. You... Oh, I tell you what. Uh, uh, give me a chance to, uh.
9: think it over and, uh. I'll uh, I'll see you at the treasure hunt tonight.
4: Oh dear! Two Good in the morning, Mister Lanyard. What a ghastly hour to go tramping over the ground. Must we participate in this treasure hunt?
3: Of course, it's all a part of the weekend. Come in. Well, it's the witching hour, Mr. Lanyard. Here's your envelope with the clues for the treasure hunt. You'd better hurry. Everybody's ahead of you. Thank you, Mr. Clinton. We'll catch up. Fine. This ought to be very interesting, seeing the lone wolf stalking down his prey. You know very well, Clinton. Oh, Lanyard. sure. I forgot. You're not the lone wolf anymore. <laughs> You're just nice, innocent Mr. Lanyard. Well, good hunting. See you later. Well, here you are, Jameson. This is our clue. Go ahead, read it.
4: Under the oak and under the cover, where have met many a lover, light a match and look deep down, find your clue and win your crown. I say, isn't that lovely?
3: Can you decipher it? Of course, sir.
4: (laughs) It means, uh, uh, Well, it means, uh,
3: well... uh... Exactly, Jameson, the old well. That's where we'll find the next clue. Come on, let's get going. The well is down this path. It's right near the stables.
4: Oh, you mean when we get to the well, we
3: find another clue? That's right, and at the end is when we reach the treasure. Oh, the
4: treasure. I say, what is this treasure?
3: So Jameson, it's unimportant what the treasure is. It might be a bag of jelly beans.
4: It all sounds very silly to me, sir. There's the well over there. And look here. It's got a, got a wooden cover on it, exactly like it said on the poem.
3: Well, what do we do now? Uh, now, wait a minute. Um, oh, yes, under the cover. Light a match and look deep down. Here, I'll uh, I'll take this lid off um, and, and put it here. Now, uh, you light a match, Jamison. Right. Our second clue must be somewhere inside the well. Right here, just a moment. Ah, there's the clue we're looking for. A piece of paper pinned on the wall inside the well with a big pin.
4: Oh, gash it all. Match went out. I'll light another one. Oh, Jamison, hold it.
3: Hold it, the inside of this well smells like gasoline.
4: Yes, it does. Yes, it does smell like it's full of...
3: Full of... Get away, Jameson. Blow, blow that match up. Uh,
4: are you all right, Mr. Lanyard? Yes, and no thanks to you. Oh, I couldn't help it, sir. If you ask me, we walked right into a trap. Quite obviously. Here, oh. let me help you up. Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, if I'd had any idea... Ouch!
3: Well, now what's the matter?
4: Oh, I've, I've been scared. Well, let me see. Oh!
3: Steady, Jameson. I'll pull it out. Oh, be careful, sir. Oh. Oh. Ah. Oh! There we are. And very interesting. What is it, sir? Oh, it's that big pin. You could have been hurt quite badly. Well, if you ask me... uh, Uh, Come along, Jameson. Uh, We've got work to do.
2: As another thing, Mr. Barnes, we don't
4: mind playing this little treasure hunt game of yours, but it's no fun when the prize is two bodies... Especially if they happen to be our two bodies.
5: Surely it was only an accident.
4: I wish I could believe
3: that, Miss Waring.
5: But there's no rhyme or reason for what's been happening. If the accident at the well was another attempt at murder, then... Well, then... Then all our lives could be in danger.
3: Steady, Cynthia Darling. I presume you have some idea of who the murderer might be, Mr. Lanyard. <laughs> you flatter me, Mr. Bard. I would
4: think you had surely lined up one or two likely suspects, Mr. Lone Wolf. Why don't you tell them about our friend, Mr. Clinton, sir?
3: Clinton? Oh, well, there are some mighty interesting aspects to that road company Winchell. He was meeting Betty Larson secretly. At least that's what Hodges says. I can believe that. Clinton would stoop to anything. I didn't want to have him around, but Cynthia felt that we should cater to him for the sake of publicity for the bazaar. Uh, Hodges also insists that Clinton arranged for Miss Larson to enter the beauty contest and that Clinton promised her that she would win. And uh, there's the little incident at the well. If you ask me, Clinton is in this thing right up to his uh,
4: his clue. Help!
5: Mr. Barnes! Oh. Somebody come out here! Hurry! That sounds like
4: Hodges. He? He's right out there at the side of the house. Well, come on. We can go through these French windows. In here, in
7: the bushes, you'd better hurry. What is it, Hodges? What's wrong? I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't know anything
3: about it. Great heavens, look at Clinton.
6: I can't stand it. I can't stand
5: it. What awful things are going on. I I don't know how it happened. I was just
3: coming down
4: the path. There in the bushes, he was lying right there. He's done for, all right, Mr. Lanyard. Shot. Murdered. Murdered?
3: You did this, Hodges. You said you'd get even with Clinton. Now you've done it. I tell you,
4: I don't know anything about
3: it. I was just walking down along the path. I don't know anything about it's it. That's all right, Hodges. You'll have an opportunity to prove your innocence.
5: Don't you have some theory about all
3: this, Mr. Light? And Miss— so- There, there, Miss Waring. I think I can promise you at least that there won't be any more murders. <laughs> Hold the flashlight a little higher, Jameson, on the clock on the mantelpiece.
4: Yes, sir. Just as you say, sir. But aren't we taking a bit of a risk, Mr. Lanyard? Leaving the estate without checking with the sheriff? Shh,
3: quiet, Jameson. If I don't find what I'm looking for here in Clinton's apartment, I'm afraid we'll have a lot of explaining to do. Just as soon we didn't go back. There's been two murders already, and they say things come in threes. How interesting. Uh, Jameson, why do you think I've got you flashing the light on that clock on the mantelpiece? Well,
4: sir, well, I'm a bit rusty. I, I think it might be safe to say,
3: which, well, it would be safe. Exactly, Jameson. You never fail the safe behind the clock on the mantelpiece.
4: I say, I was right. Ingenious, eh, Miss Lennard? Now
3: you have your moments. Well, it's a long time since I've operated in this fashion, but uh, we'll see, Jameson.
4: If you don't mind, sir, this is like old times. I do mind, Jameson, but unfortunately, certain situations are born of necessity. Then allow me to compliment you, sir. You haven't lost the old touch. No, I'm not so sure. Ah, there we are. Uh, Not much of a haul, if you ask me. Nothing but a stack of letters and a notebook. Let's have a look. All that trouble just for a bundle of papers. Just a waste of good time and talent. There could have been a pound of butter or a gas coupon or a back axle. or ha. I say, what's so interesting? Just the... Did you find a clue to the murders? Uh, Just the motive, Jameson. Just the motive. (laughs)
7: Look here, you can't keep me here, Sheriff. All I did was find Clinton. You can't hang a guy for
8: that. Keep your shirt on, Hodges. Nobody moves out of this room till Lanyard shows up. If he doesn't come in five minutes, I'm going to put out
3: a call and have him pulled in.
5: It seems to me that Mr. Lanyard has admitted his guilt by disappearing.
2: Well, whatever
3: the case may be, I think you should allow me to go. After all, this is my house, and I do have guests. They might think it rather strange if their host isn't around. Look, Mr. Barnes, party or no party.
8: There's been a couple of murders committed around this joint. And everybody in this room is under
3: suspicion.
5: Really, Sheriff? If you're going to keep us here and allow Mr. Lanyard to stay...
3: Good evening, Sheriff. Jameson, say good evening to the Sheriff. He's been very patient, I hope. Good evening, sir.
4: I mean, Constable. I mean, Sheriff.
8: All right, you two. You'd better make it good. Running away from the scene of the crime won't sit so well in court. Please accept my apologies, Sheriff.
3: Well, now that you're here, Mr. Lanyard, perhaps we can clear up this nasty mess. Yes.
5: I presume you've been spending your time checking up on the murders, Mr.
3: Lanyard. That's right. And I've uncovered a few details which uh, I'm sure will prove most interesting, Miss Waring. You're wasting time, Lanyard.
8: Somebody in this room has been running around committing murders. And I'm going to find out who it is or die trying. Or die trying. Who said that?
4: Oh, if it's all the same to you, Sheriff, I think I'll join the other guests.
8: Now, isn't that thoughtful of you? Get away from that door before you tempt me to bring the murder score up to three.
3: Do as he says, Jameson. After all, you don't want to miss all the fun. In just a minute, you're going to have the pleasure of meeting the murderer. That's just what I'm afraid of, sir. All right, Lanyard. Let's have it. Very well, Sheriff. First, allow me to review events from the beginning. Just as Jameson and I were leaving for Mr. Barnes's residence, we received a rather unusual telephone message. It was Betty Larson. That was about 2 p.m., wouldn't you say, Jameson? Five minutes after 2, to be exact, sir. Thank you. We arrived at Mr. Barnes's estate by 3.30. At 5, Jameson and I went for a swim in the pool. It was then we found Miss Larson. At what time did the coroner examine her, Sheriff?
8: I, uh, around 7 in the evening. But what difference does it make The poor girl had been dead for 10 hours?
3: All the difference in the world, my dear fellow. Simple arithmetic will show you that it was impossible for Miss Larson to call me at 2 o'clock. At two o'clock, she'd already been dead for five hours. Hodges, you did it. You paid someone to make that call. You're crazy. I had nothing to do with it. Pipe down, Hodges. Go on, Lanyard. Sheriff, uh, what do you think was used to murder Miss Larson? Well, I... Could this have been the weapon? The pin. The pin, the one I set on when the well exploded. Yes, Jameson. Let me paint a rather gruesome picture for you, Sheriff. Miss Larson is called down to the edge of the swimming pool. Someone who poses as a friend suggests that she try on a hat. In trying it on, our murderer, pretending to assist, neatly jabs Miss Larson and thrusts the pin through the base of her brain. Oh, how horrible. Uh, could I examine the pin, please? Why, oh, of course, Mr. Barnes. What? Why, it's a hat pin. Well, Cynthia, it's the one you had in the large hat you wore in that beauty contest. Cynthia, it was you.
5: All right, stand back, all of you.
3: The care, sister, you can't get away with this.
5: Shut up! And listen, all of you. I assure you, I know how to handle this gun, and I'm not afraid to use
7: it. Cynthia, I'll stand back, I don't get you, Cynthia. What earthly reason would you have for killing Betty? She wanted to be your friend.
5: Ah, that's a laugh. Listen, little boy Blue. A telephone operator sometimes hears too much for her own good. How do you think she got all those fine furs from some boyfriend? No, she was too daffy about you, so she decided to try her hand at blackmail. Blackmail. That's right. Only she pushed me just a bit too far. Why Sit you? Get back, all of you. You, prune face.
4: Who? Who, me?
5: I don't mean your brother. Open the door. Go on, open it.
4: Yes, yes, ma'am.
5: Now stand back, all of you. Ha! Very amusing picture. That's right, Mr. Lanyard. Step forward just a little. I'd like to thank you for spoiling a most delightful weekend.
6: Here's
3: a little something to remember me by. Jameson, uh, are you all right? Yes, uh, I, I think so, sir. Oh, thank
8: heaven. Yeah, you did a good job, Jameson. Not only saved Mr. Lanyard from getting shot, but when you <laughs> fell against this door, you also managed to not miss wearing colder than a doornail.
4: Oh, it was nothing, really.
8: And as for you, sister, maybe these bracelets will keep you out of trouble. Because when
3: you come to, you're going to find yourself booked for murder. Double murder, Sheriff. Dig the bullet out of the wall over there, and you'll find it will match the one found in Clinton's body.
8: Well, what do you know? Come on, Hodges. Give me a hand. Okay, Sheriff.
3: I can't believe it. Why, Cynthia and I had so many plans together. It's hard to believe that, that she could be responsible for those horrible murders. I'm afraid she was. Mr. Barnes, this is Mr. Clinton's notebook several canceled checks and a few letters. Look them over, and you'll discover that your dream girl, Miss Cynthia Waring, has quite a number of aliases, and in certain circles has a reputation for landing the biggest fish in the pool. Then, after she's collected enough money, she tosses them back. You were her next victim, Mr. Barnes. And as for the unfortunate Mr. Clinton, being a newspaper man and gossip columnist, he ferreted out her little scheme and in turn was blackmailing Miss Waring. (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, I guess that just about puts the cap on that story of our little adventure at the estate of Rutherford Barnes. Miss uh, Cynthia Waring was a very shrewd and fast-thinking young lady. She got one victim with a gun. She almost got Jameson and me at the old well when the gasoline exploded, all of which began with the first and most ingenious of the murders, the particularly cold-blooded murder of Betty Larson with that hat pin. And, uh, Jameson, of course, we have you to thank for having discovered that most important bit of evidence, the uh, pin itself.
4: <laughs> yes, Miss <Mr>. Lanyard. <laughs> and I must say, I got quite a lift out of that myself when
3: I discovered it. Uh, now, now, Jameson, remember your promise. Uh, Suffice it to say, you discovered the pin the hard way, I admit. Oh, yes,
4: sir. There's no doubt about that. The criminal would never have been tuck in the final analysis if I hadn't sat down and got myself stuck that will be the...
3: uh, that will be all jameson good night ladies and gentlemen <laughs>
2: And so closes, Murder Goes for a Swim, starring Warren William with Eric Blore. The first appearance of The Lone Wolf on the air, and tonight's tale of Suspense. This is your narrator, the man in black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense with us again next week when Laird Kriegar will star in the suspense play The Last Letter of Dr. Bronson, with a cast of four distinguished Hollywood players Helen Vinson, Harold Huber, Ian Wolf, and Theodore von Els. The producer of these broadcasts is William Speer, who, with Robert Louis Shea on the guest director, Bernard Herman and Lucianne Marowick, conductor and composer, collaborated on tonight's suspense. <laughs>
1: Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks, next on Theatre of the Mind. You're listening to Theatre of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. The casting for Our Miss Brooks was bang on. First, Eve Arden, an English teacher at fictional Madison High School, excellent. Osgood Conklin, played by Gail Gordon, a blustery, gruff, crooked, and unsympathetic Madison High School principal, a near constant pain in the you-know-what to staff and students. Occasionally, he would rig competitions at the school, such as that for a prom queen, so that his daughter, Harriet, would win. Walter Denton, played by Richard Crenna, is a Madison High student, well intentioned and clumsy, with a nasally high, cracking voice, which can be disguised when making mischief, often driving Miss Brooks to school in a broken down jalopy. The entire cast are terrific. Let's see what's happening tonight in the episode No Heat at Madison High
7: who teaches English at Madison High School enjoyed her vacation during the holidays just as much as any other teacher. But as it drew to a close, she had a peculiar reaction.
10: Although I felt that my vacation had done me a lot of good, now that it was over, I was keyed up and enthusiastic, simply raring to go. Raring to go on another two weeks' vacation. (laughs) Meanwhile, I went about the business of getting used to working again and spent the past week noticing conditions which hadn't seemed so deplorable during the hustle and bustle of holiday time at the school. I was telling my landlady, Mrs. Davis, about them while we were having breakfast Friday morning. Let me pour you a cup of this coffee,
11: Connie. It's Rio de Janeiro style. I just got the recipe. Rio de Janeiro style? Uh, Yes, I mashed up a few Brazil nuts and mixed them with the coffee
6: grounds. (laughs)
11: That's one reason why the blonde hair of a Brazilian is so outstanding. But, Mrs. Davis, very few Brazilians have blonde hair. That's another reason it's so outstanding. (laughs) I'm afraid I've interrupted something you started to say to me, Connie. Oh, it wasn't very important. I had just said I... I... really shouldn't do that. It's a habit I picked up from my brother, Victor.
10: He's terribly absent-minded. I thought your sister, Angela, was the absent-minded one in the family. Angela? Yes, that's what you told me. What did I tell you? (laughs) (laughs) That she was very absent-minded. Who? (laughs) Your brother, Victor. Yes. Now, how did you know that
11: you've never even met Victor?
6: <laughs> but
11: she is confused sometimes, poor dear. Why you could be talking about something to Victor and he'd seem as interested as could be in the conversation. But then, if you just looked away for a moment, it could be right in the middle of a sentence that. Yes, Mrs. Davis. Mrs. Davis. You, Mrs. Davis. Oh, oh, good morning, Connie. (laughs) I was just looking for the cat out in the kitchen. She hadn't touched her milk. What do you hear from Victor? Victor. Oh, my brother. Oh, he's fine, thank you, dear. He calls me quite regularly. My sister Angela is the one that worries me. She's the absent-minded member of the family.
6: <laughs>
11: but I keep feeling that I disrupted
10: your train of thought. Did I, Connie? There's not a car left on the tracks but the caboose. <laughs> I was merely telling you, Mrs. Davis, that I never realized how bad conditions were at school until this cold spell set in. Why, my classroom is so drafty that half my pupils can't answer questions because their teeth are chattering. <laughs> that must be awful. Young people have such loud teeth.
6: Yes, sometimes
10: my room sounds like a dice game on a tin roof (laughs)
6: Have
10: you talked to the principal about it? Not yet, but I'm going to today He's just got to get the Board of Education to allot us a bigger budget for coal Well, I wish you luck, dear Is uh,
11: Walter Denton picking you up this morning? Yes, Mrs. Davis Oh, good Connie, I'd like to apologize again for interrupting you before. As I say, I've been a little worried about my eccentric brother, Victor. Before you go, though... Yes? Yeah. Goodbye,
12: Connie.
10: Goodbye, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> oh.
12: By the way, Mrs. Davis. Yes,
6: Connie. <laughs> yes, Connie,
11: I... Why, she's gone. Poor thing. She's been under a terrible strain lately. <laughs>
10: I'm glad you picked me up early, Walter. I've got to stop in and see Mr. Conklin before my first class.
12: Oh, golly, Miss Brooks, there must be some pleasanter way to start off a Friday morning for a perfectly nice English teacher. Yes, there must be. Oh, it isn't that I don't respect Mr. Conklin. It's just that... Oh, there's something about you, Miss Brooks. Well, before the hallowed walls of our beloved Madison High heaves into view, I want you to know that... (laughs) Just a minute, Walter. Would you mind taking that sentence again a little slower? (laughs) I merely exclaimed before the hallowed walls if our beloved Madison High heaves into view. That's what I, I thought you
10: exclaimed.
6: <laughs> Anything wrong, Miss Brooks?
10: Well, frankly, Walter, I'd hesitate to correct that sentence without stopping a teacher's college for a refresher course. But uh,
12: <laughs> what do you mean by heaves into view? Well, every so often you read about a ship that hove into view, don't you? Yes. Well, hove must be the past tense, mustn't it? Heave, haved, hove, isn't it?
10: Oh, of course not, Walter. Heave, heaved, haved, uh... Heave, (laughs) haved... What do you want me to know before Madison High heaves into view?
12: (laughs) That you command as much respect as Mr. Conklin, plus the admiration of the entire student body, and that you're... Personal warmth and charm is only exceeded by your excellence in your chosen field of instruction.
10: Ain't it the truth?
12: (laughs) I don't want to seem unduly inquisitive, Walter, but to what do I owe this verbal plaque? Nothing, it's just a natural reaction A completely spontaneous and unrehearsed And what did you get from our sponsor When you were selected as a contestant? A pen and pencil set that's guaranteed Oh, no, that's not fair (laughs) No, I'm being completely sincere And have no ulterior motive whatsoever Then thank you, Walter No, that's okay Miss Brooks Yes? Would you do me a favor? If I say no, you'll take back the plaque Hmm? Well, what is it? Well, it's a basketball team as you know, I'm the new manager, so it's it's up to me to see Mr. Conklin about getting some things that we need immediately. And and it's up to you to see Mr. Conklin for me because I'm rarely up to seeing Mr. Conklin. It, what I mean is that we've just got to get some more trunks. Where are you going? <laughs>
6: no, we're not going. <laughs>
12: no, we need stuff for the guys to put on while they're playing. You see, right now, every time we send in a substitute, he has to take a blanket along with him and change trunks with a fella he's replacing.
6: <laughs>
12: How about ten pairs should do fine. Ten pairs? Why don't you just get a larger blanket?
6: <laughs>
12: oh, no, this is serious, Miss Brooks. Oh, another thing you've got to talk to Mr. Conklin about for me is the temperature in the gym. It's so cold in there. A good humor man has to referee the game. <laughs> of course, I'm exaggerating, Miss Brooks. I know, Walter. But uh, A, just what do you want me to ask, Mr. Conklin? And B, why should it be me instead of you? Well, A, to requisition a hundred dollars worth of equipment for the basketball team from the school board. And B, because you're older and carry more weight.
6: <laughs> and C,
12: if we were driving in my car, you'd be walking by now. <laughs> Oh, you don't understand, Miss Brooks. I'm not trying to shirk my duties, but... Well, this is a legitimate beef. Now, let me put it this way. In the stockyards, when they want the sheep to run a certain way, they don't send a little lamb out to guide them. They send an old goat. <laughs> I mean, you've seen it in the newsreels, I'm sure, where they... The goat and the... Like, Gosh, I hope you're not mad, Miss Brooks. Oh, forget it, Walter. Why should I be mad?
6: <laughs> then you'll do it. You'll ask
10: Mr. Conklin for me? I'll do my best. Now, you'd better start putting on your brakes. My brakes? Yes, the hallowed walls are hiving into view.
9: <laughs> Ladies, regardless of age, skin type, or previous beauty care... Doctors prove you, too, may win a lovelier complexion with palm olive soap.
5: But to win this lovelier complexion, the kind men admire and women envy, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive soap the way doctors advise.
9: Remember, 36 doctors, leading skin specialists, advised 1,285 women, many with complexion problems, to use palm olive this way. Some have dry skin, some oily, some coarse-looking. Using palm olive soap alone, two out of three, one lovelier complexions. Now, here's what the doctors advise.
5: Wash your face with palm olive soap. Massaging for one minute with palm olive soft lather. This cleansing massage brings your skin palm olive's full beautifying effect. Rinse. Do this three times a day for 14 days. It's
9: that simple. But doctors have proved this way using nothing but palm olive really works. So forget other beauty care. Use palm olive soap alone for a lovelier complexion.
5: For loveliness all over, use big, thrifty bath-sized palm olive in your tub or shower.
12: Well, here we are at school, Miss Brooks. If you will kindly disembark, I'll find a place to park and then return for a joust with the forces of education. If I was a
10: gambler, Walter, I'd bet on you to place. <laughs>
12: yeah.
10: Oh, there's Harriet Conklin. I think I'll ask her what kind of a mood her father's in.
12: Okay, Miss Brooks. I'll see you later.
10: Just a minute, Harriet. I'd, I'd like to talk to you. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. I'm glad we ran into each other. Same here. Harriet, did you have breakfast with your father this morning? Well, yes, I did. How was he? His temper, I mean. Hmm, pretty good, Miss Brooks. Until Mother showed him some of the bills that had come in. Then what did he do?
13: Nothing unusual. He just slammed down his paper, bit through his coffee cup, and left. It could have been worse.
10: Sure, he could have bitten your mother.
13: (laughs) That's one of the reasons I'm glad we ran into each other. Miss Brooks, did I ever tell you what an unending source of inspiration you are?
10: Oh, I must end somewhere. (laughs) I mean
13: it, Miss Brooks. You're more than just an excellent instructor of English. You're...
10: You're... I'm the patsy who's going to face your father with one of your problems. All this listen, psychic, too. How did you know I wanted you to <laughs> talk to Daddy for me, Miss Brooks? Well, why should you be an exception, Harriet? What's your beef? A uh, complaint.
13: <laughs> the domestic science room. It's like a deep freeze. That room, too? It's so cold that most of us wear gloves all during the class. Makes it very awkward, Miss Brooks. Especially when we're trying to use the sewing machine. It sounds pretty bad. Bad? It's terrible. Yesterday, Bessie Snyder sewed five of her fingers together.
6: <laughs> oh,
13: what's
10: so terrible about that? Gives you an extra ladle for the cooking
6: class.
10: It broke the sewing machine, and we need $200 for a new one. Oh, but Harriet... Miss Brooks, it's up to you to make conditions in this school livable. For you, you mean. I'd better be armed with plenty of facts before I face your father, though. I think I'll make a survey of the rest of the rooms. Starting with Mr. Boynton's biology laboratory. Now who's psychic? (laughs) Yes, Harriet, I think I'll interview the shy master of the microbes. I've been in there, Miss Brooks. It's even colder than the other rooms. I hope you can do something about it. I should be able to with the experience I've had. What do you mean, Miss Brooks? I've been trying to thaw Mr. Boynton out for years. (laughs) Come in. Hello, Mr. Boynton.
14: Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. How do you feel this morning?
10: Cold, thanks, especially in here. Where do you hang your sides of beef, Mr. Boynton?
14: <laughs> oh, he... <laughs> <laughs>
6: it...
14: kind of You believe that. I was going to ask Mr. Coughlin about the heating situation, but now that you're here, I wonder if you would, uh...
10: Naturally. <laughs> hey, you
14: better slip this coat on. Even your voice is shivering. <laughs>
10: No, this outfit I'm wearing is fairly warm. I've got four sweaters on, you know.
14: Really? Where?
10: Let's not get racy, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, Miss
14: I didn't mean anything personal. You never do. <laughs> uh, the situation is pretty bad. Now, take my prize frog, McDougal, for instance. He's had a sore throat for weeks. Now, with this cold spell, I'm afraid he's developing sinus trouble. Oh, here's his cage right here.
10: Hello, Mac. How do you feel? Mm. Have a Kleenex, (laughs) Mac. You're welcome
14: (laughs) It's no wonder he's sick Look at the tank he's in No provisions for heating the water at all All Or This morning his breakfast was frozen two inches from his nose By the time he did eat, he had indigestion
6: (laughs) (laughs) That's really
10: awful, Mr. Boynton This equipment is pretty obsolete What's this bowl here? Oh, these must be some new fish What's the name of these pretty blue ones, Mr. Boynton? Goldfish, they're just cold
6: (laughs) They could slap their
10: fins together Oh, look at these cute little guinea pigs Now, they're what I call sensible animals Look how they huddle together for warmth in their cage You know, Mr. Boynton You and I could keep kind of warm that way, too Oh,
14: no, we couldn't, Miss Brooks We could never fit into a cage that size (laughs)
10: But it would be fun trying to
6: <laughs>
10: Look, Mr. Boynton About what do you estimate It would cost For new equipment For this lab
14: Oh, a couple of hundred dollars Roughly One fifty If you smooth it out <laughs> That's a sort of a joke Miss Brooks First I said roughly And then one fifty If you smooth it out
10: Oh <laughs> well, That's a Lulu. Uh,
14: I know another one, but I I wish you'd stop me if you've heard it It's about this group of people
10: I've heard it
8: Have?
14: uh, The one about the group of people who are all discussing something in a very animated manner And suddenly they stop and this one fellow says, is anybody eating a lifesaver? And somebody else says, why? And the first chap says, because there's a hole in the conversation
10: (laughs) Is that the one you've heard? No, I heard a different one. Tell yours. <laughs> well, it's about...
6: <laughs> I,
10: I just
14: did tell it, Miss Brooks. Oh,
10: so you did, Mr. Boynton. And the little beauty it was, too. But I'd better get ready for my first class now. I'll see Mr. Conklin at the beginning of lunch period.
14: Well, it's awfully nice of you to do this, Miss Brooks. Will you have lunch with me afterwards? Oh, I'd love to, Mr. Boynton. Uh, and, Miss Brooks... Please don't even bring your purse with you. It it only embarrasses me when you try to pay your own check in the cafeteria.
10: All right, Mr. Boynton. I'll leave my bag in my desk.
14: Fine. When I see you to your room, I can pick up what you owe me.
6: (laughs) That's
10: a good one, too. (laughs) What am I laughing at? He's not kidding. Let's see this list now. Weather stripping for my room, $50. Basketball team equipment, $100. New sewing machine, about $200. And biology lab equipment, $150. Total $500. Of course, that's without the additional coal we'll have to get. Well, here goes. Come in. Hello, Mr. Conklin. I just wanted sit to. Sit speak- down
9: a moment, Miss Brooks. I'm speaking on the phone. Yes, sir. So you see, Miss Stanhope, this senseless extravagance has got to stop. Why, do you realize that your art class used up three more drawing pencils this month than last? (laughs) What do you think the school board is made of? Money? What? How can you cut down? Tell the students not to sharpen them so often. (laughs) Remember, Miss Stanhope, it isn't the 50 cents involved that's important. It's the money. (laughs) Get on the mall and let's start cutting down expenses around here. Good day. Now. What do you want?
10: A happy new year, Mr. Conklin. (laughs) I mean, I just happened to be passing your office, and I thought I'd stop in and say, hello.
9: Hello. Now, Um, if you'll excuse me, I was just going to lunch.
10: But, Mr. Conklin, you don't want to go up to that drafty cafeteria.
9: What do you mean, drafty?
10: Oh, it is. It's almost as bad as the schoolrooms. What? And the gym and the biology laboratory and the domestic science room, in which your own daughter Harriet is at this very moment shivering and shaking while she sews her gloved fingers together on the sewing machine which Bessie Snyder broke. There, I said it, and I'm glad. (laughs) If
9: you're angling for another vacation, Miss Brooks, the answer is no. Now compose yourself and talk like a rational human being.
10: Well, it's like this, Mr. Conklin. If we could get a larger appropriation from the school... A larger
9: appropriation? (laughs) Miss Brooks, let me tell you what I was planning when you so fortuitously entered my office. I was planning on a general revision of expenses, an economy wave the likes of which this school has never seen. For example... You will in the future direct your pupils to use half as much chalk.
10: You mean no more capital
6: letters? (laughs) Exactly.
9: And this building, it's kept like a hothouse. I intend to cut way down on the supply of coal we're wasting. Wasting? But... but Don't butt me, young woman.
10: (laughs) I can't help it. I'm the goat that was picked for the job.
6: (laughs) That is, it's
9: not a
10: question of a lot of money, Mr. Conklin. And the temperature of the school is very important.
9: It certainly is. And I find it extremely comfortable for the most part. But you, why are
10: you wearing
7: your overcoat?
10: It's just a silly quirk of mine, Mr. Conklin. I'm trying to break up an ice jam in my arteries.
7: (laughs) Oh,
9: nonsense. And take off those gloves. And I wish you'd stop smoking while you're talking to me.
10: I'm not smoking. I'm just breathing.
9: (laughs) Well, cut it out. (laughs) That's the trouble with people nowadays. They're all mollycoddled, softies. Why, when I think of our forefathers at Valley Forge dragging cannons through the snow with their feet wrapped in rags, it's enough to make my blood boil.
10: Well, it wouldn't boil in my room. <laughs> Look, Mr. Conklin, if you don't care about people, think of the poor little animals in Mr. Boynton's laboratory. What's wrong with them? The white mice can't run around on the treadmill without snowshoes. But <laughs> Google doesn't know whether to croak, sneeze, or hiccup. So he does all three, and it's pretty depressing.
6: <laughs> well, then
9: don't listen to it.
10: And how about the basketball team? Walter Denton says that every time one of his substitutes goes into a game, he has to hide behind a trunk while they're changing blankets. <laughs> it's
6: just
10: think $100 would remedy the entire situation. $100? Plus $200 for a new sewing machine, $50 for stripping my room, and $150 for warmer tanks and better equipment in the biology lab. $500 is all you have to requisition from the board, plus some added money for coal. And if you'll sharpen the sword, I'll fall on it on my way out.
6: <laughs>
9: Miss Brooks, I'm going to try to control myself. I'm going to walk over to that window and look out a moment later I'm going to turn around, and you will have gone quietly out of the door Ah That's better. 500 dollars indeed.
6: Plus coal. Get out) <laughs>
14: The cafeteria was pretty crowded today Young Denton here invited us to share his table
10: Sure, sit down, Miss Brooks Want me to get you a tray? Thanks, Walter, but I haven't time to eat right now I've just let, left Mr. Conklin's office And he's flatly refused to requisition a penny from the school board
14: But the temperature, my animals McDougal's toes are frostbitten now
12: And how about my basketball team? we got a very important home game on tomorrow night And that gym is just icy Oh, we've got to do something, Miss Brooks we just got to get some more coal into this building well, maybe we could start an airlift
6: <laughs> No, I guess not <laughs>
10: Wait a minute The only way to make Mr. Conklin see the necessity of improving the cold situation Is to pretend we're all coming down with colds. You mean going to his office, sneezing and coughing and all? Exactly He won't dare face a school board investigation if he thinks an epidemic is starting Besides, I happen to know he's quite a hypochondriac when it comes to contagious germs
14: But if we really don't have colds, you would be lying to say we have, wouldn't it?
10: It's a white lie for the common good, Mr. Boynton
14: But you know what happens to me when I tell a falsehood I have a psychosomatic symptom that
10: causes me to hiccup Well, we'll have to take that chance (laughs) Think of McDougal, Mr. Boynton Those blue goldfish swimming around depending on you to do something
14: I'll do it, Miss Brooks I'll be darned if I don't Oh, I beg your pardon
10: (laughs) Oh, forget it, Mr. Boynton In a crisis like this, even I resort to profanity Oh, fudge!
6: <laughs>
9: Come in, uh, Mister Conklin. I got a bad cold. What? Uh, it's in by doze and Ed mostly. Shoot! Yeah, turn around, Boynton. Don't you know those germs travel? How long have you had this cold? Oh, no, for a long time. And
14: shoo.
6: Oh. <laughs>
9: You caught something from that wretched frog of yours. Now, go take some aspirin. Go home early. Do something, but get out of this office at once. Uh, but, Mr. Coughlin, my laboratory was a little bit wob, I'll talk to you after you've recovered, Boynton. <laughs> uh, fine, Mr. Uh, Cocklet. Uh, th- thank you, sir.
6: Hey, uh, you?
9: Better open the window and clear the air in this room. Ah. Ah, that's better. <laughs> Come in. It's me, Mr. Cocklet. What a what do you want, Benton? As manager of the basketball team, I'd like to request a warmer
12: jib. A what? A warmer jib to play in. It's freezing, Edel. I got it
9: closed. You too? Well, cover your face when you sneeze. We got a very important game to play tomorrow, and we need some heat, Benton. Heat. Well, if you've got such a bad cold, Denton, you'd better not come around to the game tomorrow. What? I'll be there and I'll appoint another manager.
12: But well, I'm not that sick, Mr. Conklin. Gosh, I feel great. I mean.
9: I think I know what you mean, Denton. This is all a scheme to get me to ask the board for more money. And I think I know who put you up to it. Too. She
12: did not. Oh, that is. <laughs>
9: come in, Miss Brooks.
12: How did you know it was
10: B, Mr. Conklin?
12: <laughs>
9: I heard you rehearsing your sneeze.
12: Do you look great, Miss Brooks? Never saw you looking better. Thank you, Walter. You couldn't possibly have a cold or anything the way you look. Know what I mean?
9: Keep talking, Denton. I
10: don't
12: mind. Why, what's the matter with
10: you, Walter? I have a terrible cold in my chest and my head. It's from my room, Mr. Coughlin.
12: <laughs> uh, Mr. Coughlin, if that is the stream, you sure do a funny imitation of a person with a cold, Miss Brooks. What do you be, imitation? Sure. Everybody knows you're just fooling. (laughs)
10: Among my own pupils, a stool pigeon.
6: I knew
9: this was all a plot, Miss Brooks, and I'm ashamed of you. Why, just because there's a little fresh air circulating through the school. Good fresh air. You throw a fit. Our forefathers should see you now. Those men at Valley Forge dragging the cannon through the snow with rags tied around their feet. Why would
13: I think of those The door was open, so I just came on in, Daddy. Oh, what is it, Harriet? I talked to Mother on the phone a little while ago, and her back's bothering her a bit. She liked the heating pad.
9: What heating pad?
13: The one you've got under the cushion you're sitting on. (laughs) Here's the plug back here. Now, if you'll just get up a minute. There we are.
10: I'll take it home to Mother right away.
9: Where in the world did that thing come from?
10: (laughs) From Valley Forge, of course. The boys... (laughs) The boys must have got some hot rags for their feet. Well, Mr. Conklin recommended the necessary expenditures to the school board and personally ordered some coal immediately. I thought it was a very sportsmanlike and unselfish gesture, and I started to tell him so when I met him in the hall. Mr. Conklin, I think it was very nice of you to tackle this problem so promptly.
9: Thanks, Miss Brooks. <laughs> but I wasn't prompt enough. I'm getting to bode you.
10: Oh! what's the difference, Mr. Conklin? As long as you've got your health. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Gunsmoke, followed by a new addition to the lineup, the FBI in Peace and War. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and
0: presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air